today's episode, Dave interviews Scott Adsett. Scott played Pete on 30 Rock, was the driving force behind the cult classics Moral Oral and Mary Shelley's Frankenoll, and Scott was in Were the Millers, Robot Chicken, and Mr. Show. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. How long are you here? I'm here for pilot season, so I leave presumably at the end of March, unless I get some project that films before then, and then I can go back to New York. Where are you living in New York? In New York, uh, Union Square. Right Why are you smiling square. when you say that? I, it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I love New York. I fucking love it too. I love it so much. <laughs> Why are you here? Uh, right, right. Well, because I guess the work is here, isn't it? The, well, the work is anywhere. All that I need for me, for what I do, because I don't do that anymore. I don't, I, don't, I don't go on auditions anymore. I just travel around the, the world doing this. Not this podcast. God forbid. That would be great if that would happen. You travel around the world doing what? I'm ignorant. Um, I am teaching theatrical improvisation across the planet. <laughs> That's what I do. And it's closer to, um, it, somebody said the other day, they said, oh, your, your improv class isn't an improv class at all. It's an acting class. Yeah. And it's essentially um, a connecting. It's like, it's like, without getting too crazy, it's, it's, it's a form of Buddhism. So it's like, we can only be here. You can't be ahead of yourself. You can't be behind yourself. And it's just the awareness. Martin so, DeMott. It's exactly Martin DeMott. Mm-hmm. And it's so many people have been have said that same thing because it really is Martin DeMott. Well, you're, you're lucky. I've taught a bit and I've done workshops and stuff like that. And I used to teach at Columbia uh, for a semester College. or two. College, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not university. Right. Uh, and I tried to emulate Martin's technique mm-hmm. and philosophies and uh, I found that it didn't work for me. But it took me a long time to figure out that I'm not Marty. Right. You know? What so, didn't work for you? What was it that didn't work? Um, I think I think the way I approached the criticism of scenes was a little too touchy feely and, and supportive, and the students were in need of me saying, "No, you can't do that. That's stupid," or you know, "That makes you look unintelligent," or "That's a bag of tricks you're doing." Or they know, want they want they, you. To they say need something things. negative said, uh-huh. or they can't adjust. Is it something negative or is it something truthful? Because I know that you you have an opinion. And I know that you can look at because I've heard your opinion, and I've I've had you look you've look you've looked at scenes we've created scenes together where you've looked at scenes and you were able to get down to with professionals get down to what really matters. Right. But you didn't do that with 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 well, those people. Yeah. Well, I think Marty doesn't want to discourage anyone. And, right. And also has that very Zen thing of there is no wrong, there's only better, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, better. <laughs> all right. Maybe not better. That's right. Sheldon. Yeah. Better, better, better. Uh, <laughs> do, we, do, you, do you have to define who these people are? Um, I had Sheldon on the show. Martin's hot, tough to get in touch with these days. <laughs> um, oh, so we can just we can say names and we'll. Well, just I will say like like I said like when you said uh, you, you mentioned somebody and then I added the second part of that name. I can't remember who it was, but uh, Columbia so, College. Yeah, Columbia College. Right. So it's that it's that clarification. So Sheldon Patinkin. Yeah. Yes. Um, so she, so better, and you couldn't do that with Martin because I mean you couldn't do that. I'm asking you. I, I'm I'm saying that you are capable of doing something like saying that isn't working because of X. But yes. what you were saying is when you were take, teaching classes, you would say like it was really good. Yeah, you could have. There's, there's no should. There's could. Right. You could have done this. You could have done that. But that right. was great. Right. But no, that wasn't great. That was exactly the opposite of what you should be doing, or could be doing. <laughs> 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 Actually, oh, right. I, when you say that, it's essentially, uh, at least as a young teacher, you're like, uh, that is the opposite of the way I would do it. 
right? You know, <laughs> and and then you're kind of trapped in that thing of uh, of rewriting the scene as it's happening the, right. the way you would have. Oh. I would have made a choice, like you know, to be friendly to that guy instead. Right. But, I I've stopped doing that. Yeah. I've stopped doing that. I've become I've I've taken the Martin because when I was talking to Sheldon uh, uh, Sheldon Patinkin, I don't have to say his last name. When I was talking to Sheldon. Um, uh, what, what occurred to me was I agree with a lot of what Sheldon said. I don't agree with a lot of what Sheldon says as well, but uh, I, I I love listening to him, and he has a he has a very directness that I really appreciate. Mm. So I've taken what and Martin drove Sheldon crazy. So what I've taken from Martin, and I've taken a hybrid of Sheldon, and I think that we stand on the shoulders of all these people. Yeah, and we take what we want to throw the rest of it away. But you you don't do any of that anymore. I do, I do workshops now and then, kind of masterclass stuff, but it's very seldom. Right. Um, and it's very expensive. I know, but you've got to ask for it. You've got to ask for that sort of money. What do you charge? Um, right now, I am teaching a class, and, and it's all, you know, uh, it's really, uh, what I charge is a public, it's public, it's in public domain. I have a drop-in class that's $30. I do that as a lost leader. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of, fa- I don't do a lot of If you did three speech. hours, what would that be? Three hours, if I'm on the road, three hours, and if I'm on the road, three hours will cost you probably, it'll cost the producer probably $600. Okay. Uh, only because they have to fly me out. Right, right. And they have to put me out. And then each person pays what? I would, that's up to the, that's uh, up to the producer. Gotcha, okay. Um, but what I've been doing in San Francisco with Rachel Hamilton, because Rachel's been producing some of the things that I've been doing, and she, we have a, what's called a Rosowski Premium Workshop, or Premium Workshop, where it's just 10 students, and it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and it's 10 students, and you get me for an entire day, but it's a lot of money. How long is a day? A day is, uh, I don't know, it could be from, maybe it's five hours, six hours, oh, okay. you know, that sort of thing, where the break in it. But I think nowadays what has to happen is uh, who was I talking to about this? I think maybe Gary Austin uh, from the Groundlings. I, we, those of us who are elder statesmen, have to ask for money. We have to ask for more money. I agree. Yeah, I know. But people don't, Scott. You know, people, I think there are a lot of people that aren't, that are going, oh, I'm an artist, and, you know, Martin didn't make a lot of money, and all these other people mm-hmm. didn't make a lot of money. But, so I don't have to, or there's no, there's, there's got to be, we've got to be, the, the standard bearers of now. Plus, I think the only true, truly great potential improvisers are rich kids. <sighs> <laughs> I went through a bunch of them and I was going, first off, I started out with rich kids and I was thinking, who do I know that's a rich kid? And it turns out that the rich kids are, a lot of those rich kids are great improvisers. Well, a lot of, uh, certainly uh, like, you know, Bill Murray and John Belushi came out of Winnetka. And wherever else, I thought right? Bill Murray. I thought Belushi came out of um, like a like a, a another area there, um, but but Pat Finn came from around there, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Pasquese came from uh, Lake Forest. Mm-hmm. That's not a slum. Yeah, no, it's that's not. I was kidding. Obviously. I know, but at the same time, but now that I think about people, it, now that you think about yeah, it, I should it, charge it, more than I'm charging. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But you're not, but. So when you so you're improvising still? Are you? I improvise as much as I can. It used to be in New York and occasionally the Magnet or the Pit, uh-huh. um, kind of drop in stuff. But I do a, I do a show called Gravid Water, which I love. Who's that? What's uh, that? It's they do it out here as well at UCB. Uh, a guy named Stephen Ruddy created it, and it's essentially playbook. Uh huh. But the um, instead of just being that exercise with a script in hand, it's Broadway 
performers or movie and TV performers who are given a scene from a real play to memorize and they prepare it like they would a normal scene um, and they stick to the letter of that script. They cannot deviate from it and the improviser has no idea what the scene is. So it's just trying to make it a scene and it's, it's flawless. It's, it's pretty much a, a, a foolproof show and they five or six scenes a night. It's once a month and it couldn't be funner. And just you get to play with people who are not improvisers, who are acting their, their little heads off and, and they are great actors when they can adjust their performance to what you're giving them as an improviser and the new information you're throwing at them when you make them, you know, your mother, when the scene obviously is not that, but that's the way you, that's the direction you took it for whatever reason, hopefully in an honest way. And then, you know, then every response she will have is different to, to uh, than what she thought she'd be doing. Oh my God. Yeah, it's great. That's earth shattering. <laughs> uh, it really sounds like something. Well, here fantastic. at here in LA where we are, it's every, the first Sunday of the month, and in New York, it's the last Monday of the month. Is it packed? Yeah, it sold out a couple weeks before. What do you think about the difference between uh, New York improvisers and LA improvisers? Do you see a difference there? Um, no, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't, I'm not out in the community that much. You know, I go and do my shows, whatever right. I'm doing, and I play with the people I know and I trust, and then I go home. And I don't go to many shows, and I don't, um, and I don't coach that much in town. I'll go coach out of town, occasionally in town. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, I don't know the communities. I'm not going to take on that. That's a big question, and I would say that I'm not, I'm, if I'm, I'm going to guess, I'm, I'm going to say kind of the, the UCB premise thing is kind of L.A., Walking out with a premise and sticking to it and trying to make it funny and and New York is a little more like Chicago, I think. In, in what way? Well, in that it's more going out with a with a clean mind and not a not a a clean a mind, not a clean mind, an empty mind. Yeah, and trying just to do a scene that you have not in any way planned. Right, right. And uh, do you have a preference? Yeah, the Chicago way. Yeah. Just because it's what I know, and and also I don't think I'm that clever. I think so, it really it requires a cleverness that you see. And, and also, yeah, and also to kind of step outside what's what's going on, to uh, conduct things. And right. I think that I think that gets it messes me up. If I start planning something, or if I expect someone to respond in a certain way, then uh, I screw up the scene myself. Because you're not in this, you're not you're no longer connected to the person that you're playing with. Right. You're writing the sh- the show. And, and when you're writing the show, you're writing it in your head. We're not sharing that writing thing. And what that means is that your partners can get it wrong. Right. Exactly. And exactly. That's, that's not going to help anybody, and especially watch, you. Right. And to, and to watch somebody need to adjust the moment that their partner says something they didn't expect, it, it's a kinesthetic response that I watch somebody do. Those of us who have been doing this for a really long time, you could say, he just, he just thought. He just, that guy mm-hmm. made that guy thought. Mm-hmm. And he needed to thought, and he did a thought yeah. on that. And, and there's my phone. And... Um, a lot of people right now are going, where's my phone? So uh, I, I look at that, and I have, the same, I have the same challenge with that, not being able to uh, not being able to walk and chew gum at the same time, but it's really walk and walk at the same time. I know a guy that you know as well, we both improvised with, who will, is very seasoned, very great improviser. He's kind of like everyone knows he's a great improviser. He's been around as long as we have, um, out of Chicago. And he will go on stage with an ensemble show 
like an Armando or like an Ascat kind of thing. And he will actually correct his fellow players to understand his premise and and pause and, and comment on the fact that they weren't weren't getting what he was throwing out and, and judge them for it on stage. Not not after the show, not saying you didn't get what I was doing. No, he'll do that on stage. Maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. Will and you play with explain. that person again? Yeah, I will. I mean, I'm, I like I like a lot of people, um, but I don't think I'll enjoy it. I there are certain people that I will never ever play with again. Yeah, I will. I will. I will look at them. And go. You. I've given you two chances, and every time I know you are making me think because the moment that I have something coming out of my mouth when I'm improvising with you, I have to think what is he going to say about it. So mm. I'm saying it I, ahead of time. I'm not planning what it is that I'm saying, but I'm planning what it is that I think that you're going to be saying to me once I say that to you. Meaning judging you or... Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And I don't know how you judge it. You know, when you... When, when you're looking at this... Because when you're, when, you're, when you're doing 30 Rock, did you find yourself judging the material that much? The material? Absolutely not. Right. Because um, it, was, it was written by geniuses. Right. You know, we have like 10 geniuses in one room all throwing things at each other and making fun of each other and making fun of the cast. And, right. And just trying to really hone, like... I mean, I think of that room like, like uh, they're carving some really elaborate castle out of, you know, soapstone or something, and they're just meticulous with every little doorknob in this castle. And so to to look at the material and say, man, not good enough, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense at all. No. But there are certain people that we I know that we played with that will look at those things to go. That the judgment thing just bugs the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. That thing of not being uh, grateful for where it is that you are. And when I hear people, certainly in Second City, the mumbling that went on when people were in a resident company or had the best job on the fucking planet, and I would hear people say, why, it's like, why are you bringing any of that in? I had a hard time with maybe one, maybe, definitely one, maybe two people at Second City mm -hmm. that I vowed never to work with again. In fact, I, I, I think I went into Joyce's office one day and said, if this person gets promoted, I will, I'm going to have to leave. Wow. Because I just didn't want to work with this person again. Right. Um, and if you're listening, it's not you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but right. other, uh, but, so I, I mean, I had that in me, the, the judgment, but, but this person was exceptionally cruel and exceptionally... Um, selfish on stage in breaking the scene uh, and purposely laughing every night at the same point because he knows he gets or she knows he gets a laugh uh, and also trying to make the audience uncomfortable but not in a funny clever way but just in a power way right and uh, it really turned me off and 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 on top of that just a terrible cast member backstage also. That power thing, I think, is what's you know behind... What's that? You know who I'm talking about? I do believe I know. Okay. I do believe I know who you're talking about. Um, that, power th that power thing seems to be what it's all about. The it's idea Brian of, like, Stack, by the way. Jesus. I, I, I was going to say Pat Finn. I was say <laughs> Pat Finn or Brian Stack. <laughs> One of those people. And thank God both of those people kind of disappeared off the planet oh, because they like, can't do any damage to anybody else. They are living vitriol. Yes. Especially Stack. Oh. Stack.
Oh my God. But I, that, that power thing is what always got me was the idea of like, you're really going to do that. You're going to do that. We're creating something here and you're going to, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. It just, it didn't. It and there's just, no answer. There's no answer. Well, there is an answer. Daddy answer, didn't love me. Exactly. Exactly. That's the answer. The answer is it's all that Michigas that happened up before that point. And I look at people and I just think, as I've gotten older, I, I, I don't go, I want you out of my life. I look at you and I go, I'm sorry that you are having such a hard time. Mm. Yeah. And I just wish you peace. And I don't know you're in charge of putting that shit together. You know? You're in charge of that. Well, what are you auditioning for now? Um, well, I got here uh, two and a half weeks ago uh, for the SAG Awards, our last little hurrah as a 30 Rock cast. Um, and I stayed because pilot season starts around February and lasts till around the beginning of April. Mm -hmm. And so I came to audition uh, for TV. Uh, and thus far, I had I've had one audition for a pilot, and that was today. Uh, but I've had several movie auditions. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that. You know, I just say, what, what, what movie did I see you in? Tell me about the movies you've been in, because I saw you in something, and I just and I. Most recently, probably of any note, was uh, We're the Millers. Yes, there was something before that, too. It was really a nice surprise. You're playing a doctor or some kind of. Well, that was We're the Millers, probably. That's Where the Millers? Yeah. yeah. Oh, or, or uh, The Music Never Stopped with uh, J.K. Simmons? Mm, yes. I was a doctor in that as well. Yes. That was a lot it. of gobbledygook to say. Yeah. Um, I play a lot of lawyers, but Jews play lawyers. I think Gentiles play the doctors. Are you Jewish? Oh, Jesus, I know i got to cut that out. I got, now i got some editing to do. Prior to that, I didn't have anything editing to do. I've got editing to do now. <laughs> is it a rumor or is it true, and I'm not going to get all Jimmy Corain on you, is it a rumor or is it true that you one day said, I don't want to do any more commercials? Yes, that is true. Uh, I was uh, having great success in commercials. You know, thank you, God. Uh, I had, at one point, five or six national commercials running at one time at one time scott yeah <laughs> and it was you know really paying off it was great um it was everything they say and uh i was doing more of that than like guest star stuff or co-star stuff um and i'd done little tiny uh bits in movies mm -hmm. but uh commercials were paying the bills and i was very happy about it and then i was in hollywood on the street and I ran into uh, Tyrone. Finch? Priscilla's old partner. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kenny Campbell's friend. Yeah. 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 Um, and a uh, very friendly guy and very nice guy. And, and we were talking for a bit, and some friends of his were with him. And he said, uh, This is Scott Adams. That's said He's a commercial actor. <laughs> yeah. and, and I smiled and I shook hands and I, uh, I went home and I, uh, and I really kind of weighed my, myself in the mirror mm -hmm. and, um, and I said that's not how I want to be introduced to people so I, I took a chance and I just I called my uh, manager and said no more uh, let's see what happens I'll probably come crawling back to you right. because I made a lot of money this year Right. And next year, I probably won't make much of any. Right. And somehow, the universe took care of me. And I actually made a little bit more the next year just doing guest stars and movies and stuff like that. Uh -huh. So I, it picked up. 
It's interesting, the idea of I don't, that thing is so ballsy. Would you say it was the ballsiest thing you've done with your career? Um, no, I did, I did a show where I just waved my balls around for a while, live on stage. Just waved them in people's faces and... Uh, Who were the, what was the audience for that? Uh, it was a bunch of ball fetishists. So it wasn't that big a chance. It doesn't that, sound like it, it doesn't sound risky. like it sounds like once you get those four people, there's not many more people that are going to want to see that. Was it the ballsiest thing? Probably, probably. Yeah, I mean, because it's a huge thing, Scott. I it, gave it, up. I remember when you did that. I'm sorry, you gave up. No, I, I gave up security. Right. Um, but it's like I went. I I gave a speech at my high school a little while ago, and um, you're still in high school. <laughs> and uh, and I said to the students. Uh, something that I'm sure the parents weren't happy about, which was if uh, if you can find something you're willing to starve for, then do it. If you if you can if you can look something in uh, something in your future that will make you happy enough just to do, that you are willing to not be able to support yourself on it, right? Then do it. Uh, because that kind of passion will probably lead to success, and if it doesn't, you're still doing what you want to do. So that passion, but only, only if you know, and don't have anything to fall back on. That's a huge thing right there. Yeah, I think a lot of people go, well, I, and I've talked to a lot of people who say, well, I've had this thing to fall back on, and I think, why would you have that? Because that's not what you want. That's what somebody else mm -hmm. wants from you. Mm -hmm. That's a societal um, thing. Damn it! Hold on, sorry about that. The truth alarm went off. I know. Um, uh, sorry, everybody. Ian Foley, that was me calling. Uh, that was Foley calling on the phone, our producer. Um, that that idea of of, uh, of falling back, of something to fall back on. Because uh, did you have something to fall back on? No. Did you not? Not did you have something? Was there a concept of like? Because your dad was a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm, that's right. Did you ever think about doing that? Oh hell no! I had I had no aspirations to do anything that would require hard shoes. And I have no, could you say that again? No aspirations to doing anything that would require hard shoes. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you wore hard shoes at Second City. That was less of the ironic uh, thing. That was the ironic thing for me too. It's I like wore I will never have a job shoes. where I will wear a suit. <laughs> and then I had a, a job where I wore a suit and hard shoes. Yeah. Um, but you, you, so but you not on not all day. Just for two hours or three hours a night. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, but yeah, no, my, my, I'm the first actor in our family. I'm the first kind of uh, artist uh, in, in my generation, I think, in this family. Mm -hmm. um, and what was the question? The question, uh, the question, you had nothing to fall back on. Um, and, and that's not to say, yes, you had nothing to fall back on. Yeah, I mean, filmmaking, I guess, would be the answer. So we're still in that. Okay. Yeah. Because uh -huh. I, I, I went into Columbia as a film major. Mm-hmm. And then I'd done a lot of acting in high school and improv, actually, since junior high. Right. So I then said, I'm done with that. I'm going to be a filmmaker. And I just drifted back into acting. I always I found that, too, because I, I got a degree in photojournalism. And so I was doing acting before I went to college. And then I got photojournalism. And then I drifted back. But I also drifted back at a time when... What's happening? I'm looking for pictures. Uh, a photo, I, I don't have them up. Okay. I've got these collages that I do now. Those are nice. So you do these? Yeah. Um, but I don't do... But I did that for four... I, but also coming back to Chicago in 1981, 82, and like what is happening here in this city at that time? Mm -hmm. 
because I'm, I'm probably five or six years older than you. How old, how old are you? I'm 48. 48. So I'm, I'll be 55. So at that time, during that time, shit was happening and you could not help but get, if you're an actor, you couldn't help but get caught up in that wave of what was going on 83, 84 in Chicago. Yeah. I was in high school. Yeah, but still you knew what was going on. You mean the theater? The theater boom? scene. Yeah. This theater scene at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was going downtown as a high school student taking classes at like Wisdom Bridge and and a couple other places. So right. I was trying to get into it, yeah. Yeah. But it but but prior to that there wasn't much going on at all. There wasn't anything going on really in terms of theater. I mean there was little things there, there was you know the Ivanhoe and those kind of places what that are sparked all sparked it. Um I I I don't know. I think what sparked it? Well, Steppenwolf was just killing it, crushing mm -hmm. it. But Steppenwolf was crushing it up in your neighborhood, right? Where, where are you? Northbrook. Northbrook. So they were crushing it in Highland Park. And then they went down to Chicago. Mm -hmm. But you also had um, Organic Theater, Remains Theater. I'm not quite sure where that is. That's a great, I, that's a great question. Because, Sheldon would know. Yeah, Sheldon would know. Sheldon would know. But then you have to talk to Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh, but he was. It was when I spoke with him. It was such a great conversation. Yeah. It was such a great conversation. And we, we've known some awesome people, man. Mm -hmm. And I meet more awesome people every single day too. It's amazing. I mean, I, the the chance that Tina gave me to meet people I admire is just extraordinary. What was who was one that you look at? Hugh Laurie. Ah. Oh. Uh, and I've never seen an episode of House, but Hugh Laurie's comedy work is just outstanding. Yes, it is. Uh, Jonathan Price came right. up to me. Um, Jonathan Price came up to you. Yeah. Brazil, right? Yeah. Brazil. Um, and I found myself... Oh, that was before that, though. I had a, I had a long conversation with Terry Gilliam once, but that mm -hmm. was before 30 Rock. Um, but I mean, there's. I mean, I can go through a very, very long. But list the, the fact is day. that we know the, the idea of talking to all those people and connecting with all those people, and just they they just turn out to be people. Yeah. And I think that with with you, it's Tina. I don't know Tina uh, really, but with me, it's Carell and Colbert and those guys. Yeah. And going, you know what? These are just fucking people. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're just people. Uh, with tremendous egos. Tremendous egos. <laughs> Do you think so? Well, some of them, of course. Our business kind of uh, there's a prerequisite that you must have an ego. Now, sometimes that's balanced with self-loathing. When you say and an ego, that, do you mean a drive? Um, I mean a confidence that you are better than others. I don't mean, and I mean more talented than others. Do you think that? Cause I, that word "better" always stands out to me because I I, I feel like. If I'm comparing myself to anybody else, I'm not paying attention to what the hell's going no, on. No, I, I totally agree. But you've got—I think you've got to believe that you are worthy of getting this job Absolutely. in order to get this job. And to do that, you must think you are better for this part than someone else, or that you have—you can be relied on, and—and uh, and they will not lose money having hired you. Right. You know. Right. So you need to have that a bit. I, I'm not very good with that. I. I will walk into an audition confident, but not uh, not uh, full of any assumptions. I never think I'm going to get something. I just hope I have a good performance. I think of it like this is my gig for the, the night. Right. Is I've got this three-minute show. Right. And I want to do the show really well. I want to walk out of the room saying I didn't embarrass myself. Right. Um, 
I, see what but there are people who go in, you know, and they're very successful people who go in saying they're fools if they don't hire me. Uh, for me, I go into it and I think this is my job. And when I talk to somebody on the phone just these days to get work, I will talk to them or I will email them with the assumption that we're already working together. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to, you know, and if you're going to give the job to somebody else, it, you're giving my job to somebody else. And that's okay because I'll have another job. Right. So that is your ego does come into play there in that you trust yourself. Enough. That is a huge thing. But I, but I don't find myself, I don't find myself saying I'm better than the other person because that person in my mind doesn't really even right. exist. Right. Well, that's not your personality, but there are some, you know, yeah. who, who survive that way. And, and they may just employ that in the moment or, you know, Do you for think the Tina does of, that? Tina Fey? Uh, no, I, don't, I think Tina, Tina's unique. I think she's really kind of a genuine person who is uh, really very sweet, but very tough. Right. And doesn't brook fools. Right. You know, she, she expects uh, as much professionalism from others that she expects from herself. That's huge. Uh, which is a very tall order because she's one of the hardest working people in show business. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, she, uh, she knows enough to also give people the benefit of the doubt or give them a little wiggle room or cut them some slack. Right. But in her perfect world, everyone would be working as hard as she is. Right. But I don't think that she compares herself to anybody else. No, I don't think so, no. Right. I don't think Amy does either. They might compare themselves to each other. Right. Because <laughs> they, <laughs> I mean, they have been each other's hero for so long. Right. Yeah. It's so great to have somebody like that in your life. It's so great to have somebody that is that sort of, that, that, that hero, that equal, that person that you go, that you talk to and you hang out with. And, oh, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. Does, your, does your girlfriend work? I mean, is she in the industry? She, yes, but she doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's an actress, but she has spent most of her life uh, working little jobs to stay afloat. And, and while she has had some great success in Manhattan, uh, kind of in the underground comedy scene, a uh, very successful uh, show um, that ran for years, um, and she was a, a very huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, since that's gone away, she has been, again, working, 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 and, and not had time. So it's a shame. Working she's what she's doing, what she's working, Sunday. working, doing what she loves working to do? No, working to pay the rent. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I love working, God damn it! I fucking love working. I love it. And I think that a lot of... When did you just, uh, there's that feeling of you, you stopped thinking about filmmaking, or did you? I was at Columbia College, and um, I saw that they had an improv class with Marty DeMott, and I didn't know who he was, but I just thought, well, I did some improv in high school, and I really loved it. Mm-hmm. So I decided just to do that as kind of a, to fill in my schedule. And, right. And... Within a year and a half, I was completely out of the film department and just doing plays and, <laughs> right. and you know, doing acting classes and vo- vocal classes and everything. And I just knew that that's where I was supposed to be. I remember when we were taking classes together, I, that, that what got me about the work that you, that you do and did and do is there is there's just an, such an acting thing going on with you and, and and at that time I know a lot of us were improvising and acting but the fact that you went to, to school for that and then were in the level 5 class with us I think that there was a quality there that 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 very few of us had because I was at acting school because you yes because you've done that 
because mm-hmm. you'd done that. And I think a lot of people hadn't done that. I didn't do that. Well, it, the first thing I think Marty or Sheldon or whoever it was said to my improv class was that uh, improv was really just meant to be an acting exercise originally. And it was not meant to be a performance at all. It was just a way to be a better actor. And I still believe that. Right. I, I think it's a great performance art as well. It's what I do. But, um, but it all goes toward being a more honest actor, hopefully. And I, that's why I get a little frustrated watching people be way over the top grotesques in uh, improv because it doesn't, it's, it, it's funny and very often it's uh, very clever, but it's, it, that, the, there's got to be an honesty in the center of it. And it can have its own internal honesty uh, within the scene and that works fine. Uh, but to me, like Stephanie Weir, who is so grounded and so connected to her character that she can disappear entirely um, and just respond very naturally but hysterically because of the honesty. Right. Uh, That's, I think, the pinnacle of improv. I think Stephanie's got it. That's the pinnacle for me. Uh, I think TJ Jagodowski has it. He's one of those people that you you don't think about but... You put TJ and Dave together, yeah. but you pull TJ aside, and boy, he's got that. And TJ and Stephanie have a very similar vibe, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about vibration. Uh, they really, really do. Yeah, well, uh, I'm very lucky because we're now preparing a show for Off-Broadway. Uh, me and Stephanie Weir and her husband, Bob Dassey, and my, my current partner, John Lutz, uh, and Pasquese, and TJ. Is that the one with the Dark Knight? Thing or is it no? Oh yes, you mean on the off the off nights? Off nights. Yeah, yes. we're calling it Stolen House uh-huh. uh, because and, and you know hopefully this will come to fruition. It's all about getting schedules to match up and and all that. So You've done been, it once before. Though. No, we've been waiting a year to do it. Oh, I thought that they were on their way to do that. We've gone and we've we've rehearsed it. We've you know had powwows about it, but we have not actually put it up yet. And we so keep the, the, wanting to. Would you would you describe the uh, what it is? Um, it's the six of us. And it's uh, produced by Stephen Ruddy, who does Gravid Water. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why it seemed, it's, for me, when you said that, it sounded like those two things were connected, and mm-hmm. they are. That's awesome. And the premise is we will go into a theater that already has a show running with a set, and <laughs> we will, the six of us will get on that set and improvise based on our environment and do a play. Um, or a something. A two-act play? Yeah, two-act play, um, but with very little rules to a play you know uh-huh. it's it can be as loose or as tight as we want it to be um it can be as plot driven as we want or you know or the opposite right and we've only rehearsed it a few times but we figured it was pretty successful in the rehearsals so we were ready to put it up but this was last january a year ago so we're um we're itching to do it uh-huh Stephanie and Bob are in L.A. Right. John and I, or John, yeah, John and I are in uh, New York, and T.J. and Dave are in Chicago. So it's a matter of getting everybody in New York at the same time. And T.J. doesn't like to fly, does he? Does he not? I don't know. He doesn't like. Uh, my understanding is he does not like to fly. Uh, just another little added thing there. But when you talk about the six people, I'm also thinking, of course, that's going to to work, because you all have a, a, there's a sensibility that a sensibility. I don't mean uh, un, unsensible. Is the opposite of that, but there's a sensibility that you have in, terms, have in regards to the work. Yeah, we all approach it like acting. An approach. And, and 
we approach it from a point of honesty. We right. all we all have different paths to that honesty, mm -hmm. and that's why the show will work. I think because right. the puzzle pieces will fit together. I think that honesty is such a huge fucking part of it all. I really, really, and the truthfulness and the honesty. And when you're talking about somebody doing a little bit that really stands out, that's totally over the top. It's not honest, and it seems so much more work to me because you're working on maintaining the cleverness that you need to maintain in order to drive that thing and keep it going, which sounds exhausting to me. Well, it's a, it's a funny thing. I was just having a lunch with Jack McBrayer a little while ago, mm -hmm. a great improviser, and and he reminded me that the first time I ever saw him perform, I came up to him afterwards and my compliment to him was an insult in in the context of improv. And I didn't mean it that way because I think he's great. But he it always stuck with him as kind of like a, a backhanded compliment. Uh-huh. Because I said you're very clever, and he took that as kind of like a a wound, right? Rather than a compliment. And I only meant it as a compliment. What did you mean? Because um, if you said that to me, I would I think I would go clever. That's not what I was going for. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think I think he was just thinking very quickly on on his feet. Got it. And he is uh, extremely quick. He doesn't you know there's. Very little time, like me, <laughs> me, uh, Marty Demott kind of like instilled in me to listen to what's said, take it in, then respond. Yes, absolutely. Jack's process is instant. Right. And he does all that, but instantly. Right. So he, he just plays quicker than I do, and I, and I appreciate that. Um, he's very, very, very funny. And, uh, <laughs> he's so funny. He, he really is. And he's, so and he's lightning quick. And I envy that. So yeah. I probably was saying I envy your cleverness. Right, right, right. I, uh, I, there are a couple of things that I remember you doing, and I've mentioned it once or twice in the podcast, actually. I remember one of the first scenes that we've ever done. When I think about this scene, we were rehearsing our level five show, our student show in ETC or just something like that. And you were a bartender or something cleaning glasses mm -hmm. at a bar. And when I think about that scene, and I just think about the rehearsal, I don't think about, I, don't, I think about a particular rehearsal, I don't think about the scene, this is what I imagine it to be. We erected a set on the stage at Second City that was a bar, because you did, your work in that was so, and, I, and the word believable is now, is, has this attachment, because we're talking about truth and honesty, it was so believable that I put on, I I, I, I designed a set around what it was that you were doing. Mm. I saw, a, I, right now, if you say what was in it, there was a bar, there was brass rails that held up the, the glass, those things that you slide the glasses in upside down. There was a white uh, towel that you had. There was that, those, those, those rubber things that they clean out, you know, that keep the things on. Um, I saw it all. But there's that honesty that we have of just saying, I accept this moment, and that can't happen and I'm not, this is not in regards to the Jack McBurry thing, if you're being clever because you don't have time to let that, sit, that, sh that shit soak into you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, uh, it's, it's about believing where you are. If you believe it, they believe it kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. and I, when I was teaching acting at Columbia College, uh, I was teaching acting 101 or 201 or something. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I was a novice teacher. And... I only, I, I, and improv was really my passion, and so everything kind of filtered through that. So I was teaching an acting class, and we were doing an exercise, an improv exercise, which was miming uh, anything, a cup or whatever, and you know, feeling the weight of the cup and what the liquid and how 
the water moves differently than cocoa or whatever in your cup and what it smells like and the heat of it and how, how you know how you taste it and how careful you are and and did this for you know a class and one of my students said uh, why are we what are we doing why are we miming we're, we're gonna be in plays we're gonna be picking up actual props we don't need to learn to fake props this is not improv we're not on a blank stage um, and I it, that was the first time it really hit me that I need to explain this uh, and that is that it's a metaphor for all of acting that if you believe the cup is there then we believe the cup is there if you believe you're in love with her then we believe you're in love with her right you know if we believe you're you're dying of consumption it's because you do right um, so that kid didn't accept that answer and he was he's remained kind of the the surly one in class good actor and then he came up to me Ethan Hawke right <laughs> he came up to me maybe three years later he we ran into each other and he said I've always wanted to tell you I finally understood what you were doing and he, you know, he thanked me. So I was right. very happy about that. Did you have any notes like that? Because Gelman once gave me a note that took me 20 years to get. Where you go, I fucking get it. Because it stands, it stands out so much where you're going, why was I so vocal in my disregard for that? Or why was I just so fighting that so what much? What was it? The note was, um, it was uh, a class that we had. And he said, um, what was your want in that scene? And I said, well, I wanted that. He goes, that's not what you wanted. And I said, Michael, I think I know what I wanted. He goes, no, that's not what you wanted. That's not what you wanted. You wanted, and I said, you tell me what I wanted. And he said, that's what you wanted. And, he, and, I, and, and I said, that's not what I wanted. 20 years later, exactly 20 years later, I'm teaching a scene. I'm teaching class. And I said, what did you want? And the guy said, what do you want? And I was like, that's not what you wanted. Like, <laughs> What does that mean? Um, what is it that you want? It's like, I want, I want you to uncross your hands. It's yeah. like, no, I want you to yell at me. It was right. something like that. Okay. I want you to uncross your hands. It's like, what's beyond to that? To what end? Yeah. To what end? And the fact that even if I say to you, I want you to uncross your hands, um, uh, if, if I really want you to get angry at me, whether you get angry at me or not doesn't matter. What matters is I am driven towards that direction, mm -hmm. the direction of. Because the moment that we do that, we go, okay, good. I get, to, I get to play with you in this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, going back to that cleverness, man. I, that's why, for me, I find that the UCB style, not that I've ever done it, seems like a lot of work to me. Mm -hmm. um, well, this, for me, it's the danger of getting it wrong. Like, playing with someone who, who's very premise-heavy when he walks in makes, puts me on guard and nervous and second-guessing myself. Right. Because I'm afraid of being judged that I'm getting it wrong or that I will take it in a direction that he doesn't like and suddenly he'll disconnect. And you're not collaborating then. Yeah. I mean, you're not collaborating the entire time. Well, the, there's a the the note I remember that took me a while to get was Marty's, and it was uh, allow the scene to fail for lack of what you're doing. Allow the scene to fail for lack of what you're doing. You remember that? Uh, it, it sounds very familiar. It's, yeah. It's an so echo. he said that he said he would say that at least once a week, and I would I was always very confused by it um, because you know your job is to try to make the scene better. Always try to make the scene, you know, pump up the scene or, or, or yes and the scene into glory. Um, and he was warning on the dangers of trying to fix scenes while you're in. Right. Um, which speaks to premise as well. Right. Uh, and it took me a while. 
but I finally was, I, I allowed myself to step back, let whoever is having a hard time work on it, and not try to be the hero. Not enter a scene that I see as failing and try to save it. <laughs> because, and that's a great impetus when you're standing on the sidelines. When there's a scene going on, you're like, oh, oh, they're, oh what they need is me. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, this is the first time that I've ever, because I, of course, I, I, I know that and I avoid that, but it also, I, I look at a lot of the stuff that we're, that we're, that we do in improvisation and I, I always see the parallel in outside of class where you're working your life and you're seeing a friend of yours struggle in some way and you, how often would you say, what they need is for me to get involved in that right now, to help yeah. them out. Yeah. Well, actually, don't. Let right. them go through what it is that they go through. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's like uh, men are from Mars and women just want you to listen. You know? <laughs> and you want to go in there, you want to fix their problem. Right. And they just want you to listen. Right. So just, sometimes you can save a scene just by listening. I, I had a girlfriend who was uh, going through a lot, big crisis and my feeling about it was, you're going through this crisis. Mm -hmm. And I hear you. Yeah. And she was very upset that I wasn't fixing it. Really? Fix it. Yeah. She was very upset. She's like, why aren't you doing anything? It's like, what am I going to do? Except hear you, listen to you, be here in the moment with you. Yeah. And so go back now and tell me again what Martin had said, just so that I have this understanding. Allow the scene to fail for lack of what you're doing. Allow the scene to fail for lack of what you're doing. Because there is no failure. The scene is going to take The on audience would disagree with that. <laughs> do you really think yes about of course they judge every scene They're... but do you think but do you are you when you're in process when you're doing the scene you're in process you're in process right i mean you're not saying this has to be a great scene or not a great scene aren't you in that moment for me i don't feel like i feel like whatever it is that i'm going to do forgive me and my ego it's going to be a great scene no matter what the fuck i'm doing I don't. I, I don't have that same ego. I have. Uh, I. Th this will be fun. That's my want as an actor in the scene. Is I want to have fun. I want the audience to enjoy themselves, um, and I want my other players not to be mad at me. You know. <laughs> that, that's two very different things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they can all be served by the same successful scene. Right. And uh, that's all I want is. To have a good time and make sure everyone else does too. Right. Um, I also want to push myself in a way, push myself into scenes that I've never done before. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've done sometimes at the expense of the audience. I've done plenty of things that were very selfish as far as uh, performance goes and not caring what the audience thinks and just needing to explore something on my own right. um, to see if I can do it or see if that's worthy of stage or uh, just to see what the audience will tolerate. Right. Um, and... There are a lot of performers who, who really revel in that and are very successful in that. Eddie Kaufman's the perfect you know, example the, of that. He is the guy. And like, you know, Dino Stamatopoulos, too. Right. He's just good at That's doing right. just what he wants to do. And if the audience doesn't like it, then, you know, he'll, he'll and hate he himself for not, for, for not expressing himself well enough. Right. But he will also trust his vision and say, they don't get it because they don't get it. They're just I, not me. Oh, I, I, I had a, a, Zeno was on the show, uh, on the podcast, and I love talking to him about that very same thing. 
Because I remember being very angry at Dino and Andy Dick after seeing them in a show at Cross Currents yeah. and going, who the fuck do you think you are getting up there and just essentially symbolically jizzing over every, you know, <laughs> everything and jerking off and fucking and shitting on the stage. It's symbolically. And I said, you know, and then later on, I realized that's who they are. That's it. Yeah. Dino and I tried to do stand-up together for one summer in Chicago. Because um, we're great friends. Yeah. And we're very opposite personalities. Except we're both very sweet. Um, and we went to the funny firm who had a, what do they call it, taboo night. Like on Wednesday or something. Oh, that's and, a bad idea. And so we went up and, and we did you know two-man sketch stand-up. Um, but it was all very meta and very like, you know, making fun of the very form we were doing. Right. And, uh, and just starting with the premise of, all right, what's the most offensive thing we can do? And we'll work backwards in how to get there. And, uh, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And, and we did it maybe two or five, I don't know, no idea how many times we did it, but we, not enough to hone it. Right. And we found that half the audience really despised what we were doing and the other half thought we were heroes. So we feared that was successful. Right. Um, because if you can elicit emotions, then you've done your job. Right. Um, well, that's certainly but, what Andy's thing was too. Andy Dick's thing was too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's really great at it. Yeah, he's really great at it. To the point of going, of, the, of, of really Andy Kaufmaning the mm -hmm. whole thing. He's the most Andy Kaufman guy that I, that I know. And again, I don't, I, I'm not out there that much, but I know that when Andy was in his Andy days, whatever that would be, it, it was very often hard to watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was certainly committed to comedy. <laughs> That's a really nice thing. To, well, good should, I say, should I say this? He, he <laughs> at the Roxy one night, which is this little stage that was on Fullerton. Right. Uh, and was a, a great place for up-and-coming comedy people. A lot, to of people a lot of people started there. Yeah. Um, but it was just the kind of thing where you kind of rented the space for the evening. Right. Um, and... I think he and Dino were doing a show, or maybe all of us were doing a show. Maybe there was a whole group of us. I can't remember what the night was, but he and I, he, Andy, I, he cornered, you're talking about Andy. Andy Dick cornered me in the bathroom of the Roxy and accused me of. How many people have said that? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> but he cornered you in the bathroom of the Roxy. And he, he accused me of not being committed to comedy, <laughs> which, which I. I had that resp same response you just did, uh, <laughs> of uh, sitting in the sink and laughing, which is, why are you in a sink, by the way? Uh, and oh he just, God. he like read me the riot act about not being committed enough. And I thought it was silly, and then I, and then I did, you know, I said, you know, Andy's a smart guy, and he is certainly a, a comedic mind, and, and more driven than I am. Mm -hmm. So I did take it home with me and I did say maybe I'm not committed enough maybe I don't, I what don't. does that mean though I, I don't think know he that means, means I think he me meant driven willing to do anything constantly uh -huh. writing constantly working performing any night you possibly can right um, and in that respect in comparison to him I'm I am not committed to comedy in his in his uh, um, I don't want to say judgment uh, his definition of committed. 
because we, we all have our own sense of who it is that we are in this comedy world or in the world in general. And it's easy for you to say, I'm not committed to comedy either, but I think that I'm pretty goddamn committed yeah. to comedy. And it, it may have been a thing of he saw potential in me. And, That's and probably was what it is. Telling he, me he, that he, was he wants to see more, yeah. Right. He had expectations. But, you know, my whole life is disappointing people, so. Right. You disappoint a lot of people. Um, the. Uh, the end of one of the Zen moments on the, the Daily Show this week with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman talking, I think accepting a Golden Globe Award and saying, we have to act anywhere that we can act. We get to perform anywhere that we get to perform. Did you see it at all? I did see that moment of Zen, yeah. That moment of Zen. And to look at that and to say, I know exactly what he's talking about. And it's what you were talking about with the audition, where you have yeah. three minutes of that. And to be able to say, okay, we've got three minutes. I'm performing for three minutes. It's not, it, yes, it's an audition, but it's also really a, a three-minute performance. Mm -hmm. And you've got three minutes up there, and you walk away and you say, either I, 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 I did what I did. Well, and here's the thing, too, is if you respect yourself as an artist, you want your, the best product you can give at all times. And especially on stage, because in general, that's the only time those people are going to see you perform ever. Right. Ever. They'll never see you again. And so this is your opportunity for those people to see what you do. And if you don't show them what you do, if you half-ass it, or if you're distracted by whatever your day has been, then you're not showing them yourself as an artist, the person you're spending your life trying to show to people. Right. And, and Isn't that a lot of pressure, though? Yeah. Like to look at all those people and go, I don't want to upset any of you. But don't you have a standard that your own standard is that, 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 is, that encompasses all those people's expectations? But I'm talking about in letting them down, you're really letting yourself down. Because, okay, got it. because got it. you have a standard for yourself, and you better stick to it. Because... When, you you on your highest horse about your own performance uh, should be your standard. You know you you should you shouldn't say well it was just a show for seven people. It was just a show at the Roxy. It was just an audition for a commercial. Um, that's all they're gonna get, and you have a gift to give them. Right. So give it. The, when you said just a show at the Roxy, it made me think about what happened with you and Andy at the Roxy, or what y'all did, that show that y'all did at the Roxy, that wasn't just a show. Maybe that time that you were there, at that point you were saying, this is just another show at the Roxy, I know that you're not. But there are times where you don't know the importance of something that it is that you're doing while you're doing it. Yeah. And, and so while you're doing that thing, be totally committed to what you're doing. And I think what you're saying also, when you, especially when you said, don't bring your day into it, mm -hmm. that's a huge thing right there. Because if you, how many actors are saying, I am having a hell of a day and now I have this fucking audition? And you bring that hell of a day in. The hell of a day cannot be any part of that performance. Mm -hmm. Unless it helps you. Unless it helps you. And that's a, that for me seems like a harder thing to do. But if you can do that, well then God bless. Um, I know that if I go to an audition that I hate the script or I, I, don't, I secretly don't want this part kind of thing. And I'm angry about it. If the, if the character is angry already... If the person I'm playing is angry, I slip right into that groove, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I had a <laughs> worst audition I ever did uh, was for Children's Theater in Chicago when I had nothing going on. Um, it was before I was on stage at Second City. It was, I think, after I had... Oh, Children's Theater. Oh, Jesus. After I had taken classes at Second City, after I had understudied 
the homecoming at Steppenwolf. I was understudying Al Wilder in the role of Max in the homecoming, which is a 70-year-old man, and I was 22, I think. But, hey, Steppenwolf says, go ahead and do it. And he said, yes, sir. So uh, I had that monologue, and that's the monologue I did for, <laughs> I did Pinter for a children's theater audition. And uh, they didn't tell you anything to prepare except a monologue. And I thought, well, I, I'll just do this, you know, whatever. Uh, and it's one of those, you know, really like, you know, happy-go-lucky, big round so shoes mad. show, you know? Oh, the show, but not the homecoming part. The homecoming. homecoming a little less so. Homecoming, you know, I think there was a line in there which was, you'll drown in your own blood. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, the next thing, that, you know, I did that, and they were kind of nonplussed or confused. This is in some empty apartment in Chicago. And uh, it was like two very eager young men and oh a very eager woman. I'm sorry, I just know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And so then they said, okay, now we want you to speak for one minute about something you're very passionate about. And I'm not glib and I'm, I, I'm not someone who, I, I, I'm not verbose. You know, and I have a hard time. I, I would have a hard time even playing Armando in the Armando show. I just, I'm not good at speaking. Um, I'm good at reacting. Uh-huh. I've realized that over the years. Uh-huh. And anyway, I, I was trying to think of something I felt passionate enough about to speak for, for a minute about to these people. And they had, they had asked me to do my monologue, and then they asked me to, like, play a piece of paper or something like that. And I had to do that. So the thing I spoke passionately about was how awful this audition was <laughs> and how... Uh, <laughs> What, what bad choices they were making as auditioners and directors. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You got meta. You got meta. <laughs> and uh, they did not call. Oh, my but God. But I did. It was very passionate and very articulate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, the thought of, like, in the middle of it, of saying, oh, my God, I'm auditioning. <laughs> you're, you're reading Pinter for a children's performance. That's one that's huge. Two, I just can't handle kids. I, doing kid shows? Did you ever do the Not kid really, show? no. I did a little bit of, uh, like, charity stuff in high school. But right. I never uh, did a professional kid show. Carell did a few of them. I, I did a few of them as well. Yeah. I did a few of them, too. And you reach a point where you go, this is not going anywhere. I am not going anywhere. The little Humpty Dumpty best buy basket, basket exploding. Oh, man. We don't have to do that anymore, right? Right? We don't have to do that anymore, right? Not yet. We're going to need old Geppetto one day, though. <laughs> oh, I just get so, I get so scared of that. I get so scared of that. Um, okay, let's end there. That was really good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was a blast. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. If you'd like to see one of Dave's improv shows or one of my stand-up shows, you can get that information at addcomedy.com. If you want to take a class with Dave, that information is located on his website at davidrozowski.com. You can also follow Dave on Twitter at drozowski. 
Today's episode was sponsored by Troubadour, a restaurant movie. A new movie by Group Mind Films, portraying an accurate, sometimes funny, and sometimes cringe-inducing glimpse at restaurant life. Troubadour, a restaurant movie. Available to watch in its entirety online for only $5 at groupmindfilms.com.